Hey, this is Josh Todd from Buff Sherry, and you're listening to Appetite for Distortion with Brando. This is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 159. It is Brando coming up momentarily, an interview with Buck Cherry's Josh Todd. Super excited for this. I've been a Buck Cherry fan since they really came into existence. I mean, during the, the mid-90s, that were, was kind of my informative years, you know, late high school, college, so... I'm very excited to speak to somebody uh, like Josh, and of course, uh, we're going to talk about their latest album, War Paint. We're going to talk about the tour, and we got so many questions from you. We got questions for Josh, and I would have asked anyway, but I, I appreciate that we're all on the same page, about Velvet Revolver. What was Josh's involvement with Velvet Revolver before they, well became Velvet Revolver. He was part of that thing called The Project, so we're going to ask him in just a few moments. Then stick around after the interview. We're going to do some shotgun news, and we're going to read some listener mail. But first, I believe uh, this is Josh calling up. The phone is lighting up. Hello. Looking for Brandon. This is he. Josh Todd from Buck Cherry. How are you? I am doing well. I am really honored to, for you to take time to speak with me today. My pleasure, man. Did I catch you meeting, like eating mid-apple or something? <laughs> no, I'm just finishing up my uh, lunch. I'm, I'm just chewing my last bite. Okay, all good. I was just scarfing down a, a lemon loaf from uh, from Starbucks, so I guess we're on the same page. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, I'm excited because you're you're closing out the year uh, in my neck of the yeah. woods, really, because uh, I'm based here in New York City, and you're going to some some really awesome venues. One being in my my home base of Long Island. The Paramount, which is a beautiful club, and Starland Ballroom. Yeah, and Starland yeah. Ballroom in, in Jersey. So as somebody who's toured so much, what do you prefer, I guess, like where to, to play or does it matter? That being like a, like a stadium, like a big festival or an intimate, like how, what's your preferred show to put on, I guess I, I'm asking. I get that question a lot, you know, and it's like we've been on every size stage you can think of and it's really the same for us, you know, I mean, I'm super passionate, uh, about performing, you know? And so I have the same mentality. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, it's a little more, um, intense when you have a smaller room cause it's more intimate and you feel like, uh, you have to really, uh, be at your very, very best. Not like you always, you know, aren't striving for that every time you walk on stage, but, um, you know, I, I do the same things. I, I get into a mental state before I walk on stage. I take about an hour, call it my hour of power. And, you know, I just, I get focused. I get grateful. And I basically, what I like to say, I turn myself into uh, an instrument, you know, and that's what you got to do with, with vocals. And, um, and uh, it's really good to get in a ritual of, of that kind of stuff because, you know, you're not always at the best physical 
condition when you're on the road, you know, you you could be going through all kinds of different stuff. So um, that being said, you know, I really love those two venues that you mentioned. I had a lot of shows at the Starland and at the Paramount and, uh, and, you know, we sold the most amount of records in Minneapolis and New York in the, uh, in the United States. So uh, it means a lot to go back to those places and, and still have like these great turnouts. You know, after all these years, I guess what keeps you driven most of all? Is it is it the actual performance and, and using yourself as an instrument, as you say, or is it, you know, the the look of potentially, you know, over the horizon and seeing new music on the way? Is it just kind of embracing your entire history? Uh, is there a main motivation for you? Because you guys, you know, you've been doing it since the mid '90s. Yeah, it's it's a twenty year mark for us. Um... Amazing. You know, you know what? At the end of the day, it's it's really about passion, and thank God I've always really loved what I do. You know, and I'm also very involved in it. I write all the lyrics and melodies for every song you've heard in our career, and like uh, that means a lot to me because it makes it very personal. And so that way, when I go represent it, you know, live, um, I feel really emotionally attached to the music, and I couldn't imagine it every any other way. I know other people you know, do it all different kinds of ways, but um, that's the way I do it, and it works for me. Before I, I guess I, I lose it in the conversation, when you call it your, your hour of power, uh, is unless yeah. it's a secret, you can, you know, just say that it's 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 my hour. I want it's, to, it's, I can't tell anybody what I do, my regiment. But, like, <laughs> what, like, what do you do? Are you, you know, doing do-re-mi? Are you in a, a, a teepee no, no, with peyote? Exactly what do you do? I do? Yeah, it's nothing's a secret, you know. I, I like to talk about you know the whole process because i'm passionate about it and you know every singer has got a different way to go you know but uh of course i do uh scales uh vocal scales you know that that gets my voice uh ready to go you know i I do that every every uh day and that's about 35 minutes and then the the rest of the time uh, i just listen to music that inspires me you know mostly like i i go in like uh I have different kind of phases I go through, but lately I've been in like an old funk phase where I'll be listening to like James Brown and, and, uh, you know, uh, some of the old disco songs, you know, Donna Summer and stuff like that. And I just like, I just dance and get my body loose and get with my band and, and kind of, uh, interact with my band. We just have a nice time. We say a prayer and, and the prayer is always mandatory. You know, we just, we get, we, we thank God for like the opportunity and, and what we're, what we get to do and the longevity that we've had and the people that have paid their money to come see us tonight. And that all, all of that is, uh, working up to stepping on that stage. And so by the time we get to the stage, we're just, we're just fired up that we get another opportunity. How has the, the crowd reception been to the new record? Cause uh, war paint came out earlier this year and it's a phenomenal record really shows you know, Thank you. The, the hard, hard rock Buck Cherry and then the ballads that I really enjoy. It's the balance of what I like in a rock band. So how has the reception been from uh, from Buck Cherry and just rock fans alike? Yeah, I'm glad you said that, you know, because on all those older rock records, there was so much balance. And I don't see that a lot in like the newer school rock bands. You know, maybe there is and I'm just not catching it all, but um we like to have that dynamics and, you know, like songs where you're just basically capturing an emotion, you know, in in three or four minutes, you know? So, uh, I have all different kinds of human emotions that I want to 
touch on, you know, and that makes a really nice uh, set of music. And what you were saying about War Pain, I'm, I'm very happy because we worked really hard on that record. It was very reminiscent of the the same kind of process we went to we went through uh, before we dropped 15. You know, it had been three years since our last record. We had some lineup changes. We were going through a lot professionally and personally. And it always makes for great songwriting. And Stevie and I, we were really thorough. We wrote about, we wrote over 30 songs for uh, what you hear on Warpaint. So, you know, it really, I feel like song, song to song and pound for pound, it's up there with 15 as uh, one of our best. Did you, and I'll credit this to a, a listener, if I can only find it on, on Facebook, but did you know that 15 was going to be as groundbreaking as it was uh, when it came out? Had no clue. Hanging, hanging on by the seat of our pants. We were, we were all working day jobs before that. We were all, like, broke. We didn't have any, you know, so we were, like, we were just doing what we were passionate about, you know. We were just like, let's make the best record we can make. We had no idea it was going to do what it did. We didn't see Crazy Bitch coming, none of it, you know, and... As a matter of fact, that that whole rollout was so crazy because no one would sign that record in the United States. No one could, we had the whole record done and no one would sign it. We did that whole record in 15 days. That's why we called it 15 because we got a small bit of money from Japan. Japan gave us a record deal. We did the record and we still couldn't get it signed. So our manager at the time, Alan Kovac, started 117 Records. With he goes, I'll, I'll put it out, and he started an independent label, and we had an uh, we we distributed it through Atlantic, and then they had a uh, they had some clause in there where they could sign it if they wanted to at any time, and so upstreaming clause. So, anyways, we we dropped it, and as soon as we were about to drop it, we were we were almost going with the song next to you as the first single. Oh, I love it. And this is when, yeah, this is when MySpace was happening sure. and like crazy bitch was getting all these fucking views and listens or listens. I don't, I can't remember if it was a viewer or a listen at that point, but it was just, might've been like a play. Were, like, uh, I think that's what's, yeah. yeah people like were that. playing that song. It was over a million. Right. And we were like, Oh my God, what is going on with this song? And then all of a sudden radio DJs started editing a clean version of the song and put it on the radio. We didn't even ask. And so we're like, Oh my God, this song's taken off on its own. And we jumped on crazy bitch. We stopped everything that had to do with next to you. And we went to crazy bitch and, and it just changed our career, changed the scope of our career. So thank God for that. That's fascinating because it wasn't like you did this song just to be on the radio and it, it just had its organic uh, it just took off organically, and I think that's the best way not, to do it. Yeah, almost didn't even make the record. It had been sitting around for a while, and it's like we uh, we just thought it'd be like a good, uh, you know, uh, a good crowd tune. You know, like our core fans would really like it and be fun to play live. We didn't think much of it because of the lyrical content. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and before I lose, I want to credit because I got a lot of um, listener questions that people are excited to hear from you today. Uh, this is from on Twitter, w, uh, WT Famicon. Not everyone has an easy handle to, to say, <laughs> asked about the, the 15 record. But you said something uh, pretty interesting, you know, on 
on the topic of, I guess, crazy bitch and, and talking about how ra- a lot of rock radio today, I mean, I'm going to be honest, it sounds the same to me. It, it, and and you're, I think you're out there more than I am. So I remember when Crazy Bitch, I was working uh, at, at Pixie 103 in Cape Cod when that, that broke. And that was, I mean, that whole album was the album of the of the year for me and, and, and then on that, that station. And, of course, with the, all the editing, with all that uh, that crazy stuff, I'm like, I, I can actually play this song on the radio? Like, that's amazing. So something on the a on the way here that I was driving, you know, listening to, you know, War Paint. It's like I had my hour of power driving here listening to War Paint. Uh, Good. <laughs> so with – I was listening to it and hearing your voice, of course, and then as soon as you picked up the phone, it's the same thing. You have – a voice that you know it's Josh Todd. Like there's no if and or buts around it. So you know it, it's you singing. And I think that's what separates Buck Sherry and has continued, has and will continue to separate is your voice. So do you think, I guess, do you think like maybe there's a lack of maybe not bands, but but vocalists out there? It, it, it could be said of a lot of genres. I feel like all country music sounds the same. A lot of hip hop sounds the same. You know, where are the Josh Todds of other genres where you it's so distinct, you know who it is? Yeah, and I appreciate that. I, I didn't like set out to be like, I'm going to be different than everybody else. I just uh, I just think like, you know, it, it's it's kind of just like this. I guess I'm kind of a mutt, you know, because I just crammed in all this different types of music, you know, and my foundation was like really aggressive, like punk rock records, you know, but I, I would sneak into my sister's room and listen to like Stevie Wonder and Prince and Billy Idol and Yaz and all those records and the whole Prince era records, you know, the time and Apollonia six, I loved all that stuff. And then my mother would play records around the house, Rod Stewart, the Eagles, Willie Nelson, uh, Kenny Rogers. And so I'd listen to all that. I was just like, I just was absorbing everything and it kind of created this, this, uh, style of what I am. And I think, the reason why I kind of stand out like when you hear me is because I was so underdeveloped. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a vocalist. I had a knack at like writing. I was always uh, doing creative writing before I got into bands. So I would write poetry and do all kinds of stuff. And then when I started getting into bands, I, I had a knack for lyrics and melodies. And so that's like where my expertise was at the time. Well, not expertise, but that's where my strong point was. And then I had to like develop my voice later. And I think that's what made it kind of its own thing, you know, but, um, you know, it's worked against us and it's worked for us at, you know, a lot of times. And like, and like you said, you know, the, the charm of it is like when you hear about Sherry, you know, it's, it's us and that's the good part. And it's not, repetitive because what I said before you have different tempos of songs and you have different octaves and, and ranges in your in your voice so it's it's not like it's well yes I, I love the Ramones but there's really not much too much variety in there uh, but w- with Buck Sherry you can get the whole palette uh, of rock you know I was, I was listening to there's even some like a, a hint of country in some of the uh, the slower tunes that I that I hear yes uh, I'm I'm curious because this is the, the the first record that you've uh, had Kevin on on lead guitar. So how has that been, and how has what was the recruiting process like when you needed to get a new guitarist for the uh, for the album? You know, we were looking for some guys, and and we had some. We were looking at other guys, and and Kevin, I have known since I was 20. Uh, when I first got to LA, he was 
like when I first got to LA, I was 19 and that's when I met Stevie. We were working together at a used clothing store and when we became roommates and we were never in bands together because he was always doing his thing and I was doing my thing. And, and we were just really good friends and we got, we, we got in a lot of nonsense together, you know, and, and eventually we got sober and, and all that stuff. And then, you know, he's been in the band since, uh, 15 Stevie, you know? And so, um, so when this all came up, uh, Stevie had always been in touch with Kevin. I, you know, I was always friendly with Kevin and Kevin and I know each other, but like he and Stevie were really good friends, you know? So, uh, all this was going on and out of the blue, I get this call from Stevie and he goes, Hey, you know what? I got something to throw at you. And I go, okay, what? He goes, what about Kevin being in the band? And I go, what? He goes, yeah. Kevin. And so um, the reason I say that is because we have a lot of respect for Kevin. He's like a really, he's a really great, not only is he a great guitar player, but he's a great singer, you know, and he produces, he's just a really well-rounded musician. And we used to go see his band uh, in Hollywood when we were kids uh, called soul and they were huge, you know, and, we we were kind of like we looked up to this guy we loved his voice you know and so to come full circle and i said to stevie i said is he into it because it's you know as long as he understands like the dynamic and he's cool with it because i i wouldn't i would feel weird if you know he wasn't just you know totally into it you know and because he's such a great front man on his own and he goes no he's like totally into it and a team player and i was like well then it's a no-brainer that's our guy and and as soon as soon as he got in you know i didn't we didn't have to audition him or anything because we know his his whole you know catalog of music he's been in a lot of bands that have had record deals you know so um when he when he came into the fold, it was just like the perfect fit, and it's and it with him and Francis, our drummer, in the fold, and, and you know what, and, and Kelly as well. Kelly, we knew way back in the day too, you know, and he's been in the band like I think eight years now, but uh, but like it's the best lineup and the best musicians that have ever been in Buck Cherry, and so. It's just fucking. It's so much fun. Sorry for my language. Though. No, it's it's okay. I'm talking <laughs> the, the the Buck Sherry, so it, it's fine. Uh, pre-recorded podcasting, <laughs> the beauty of it. But again, I don't. I don't All right. Yeah, no, feel yeah, free to be yourself. Sorry. But I I appreciate your politeness. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, so with this being such a strong lineup, how does that make you feel? I guess going forward, does that make you more eager to? I don't know. Maybe create new stuff as opposed to maybe revisit some of the old stuff? Cause you know how bands like you celebrate a 20th anniversary, they might do remastering. So is there anything on, in, in going on swimming in your head, how to celebrate 20 years as a, as a band, as it approaches, you know, right before I got on this call, I just finished uh, singing an acoustic version of sorry. Uh, oh, we wow. just recorded, we just re-recorded sorry. You know, I, I'm, I'm exhausted. I've been, I was standing on my feet for about two hours, just, you know, belting it that song is very tricky you know it's my whole range and and the timing and you know there's just it, it's it's a tricky song and I was, I was kind of like Stevie threw me a curveball I didn't know he was done with it you know and I thought I was doing something else today and then he's like hey man I got sorry done like you want to do that and I go let's do it and and so we're going to release that song and another song we're working on what the second song is going to be um we're going to put that out next year 
we got some other things in the works, but I'm, I can't talk about it yet, but some, some other cool things for the new year. And then eventually we'll get back to the drawing board as far as writing a new record. And I think the new record, I want to, I want to, I want to do it with all the, the whole band together uh, because we haven't done that in a long time, you know, and, and now that we got this, these guys that we just have, they're, they're so deep in their talent and, and we all get along so well. Like we've already done 140 shows together and we all just are, you know, having a great time being each other's company, you know, and that's like, that's amazing. You know what I mean? So there's so much untapped stuff there and I really want to see what it would be like to get it all in one room and see what we could all come up to together because Stevie and I basically wrote the whole war paint record, you know? So, um, yeah, so that's, that would be a lot of fun. Is that something in, you know, if you can't speak to it, I'll understand if that, was that something that you, that perhaps was missing in older lineups that, that collaborative feel, uh, you know, if, if I may ask, this is the first record without Keith on guitar. Is, is that something that yeah. perhaps, didn't happen with him or was that another case because you seem in such a good place now and obviously you had yeah. all the success for people that were or are still your friends but but you know what i mean yeah you know it got really weird and you know the last three years before uh the, the split and it just wasn't a band anymore there were it just wasn't it wasn't we weren't aligned we weren't all focused on the same things we didn't all want the same things and and everything happens for a reason, you know, and, and it's been nothing but a great thing for all of us. I can't speak for Keith or Xavier, but like, I just hope that they are really happy in their lives. That, that's all that I care about, really, because um, at the end of the day, that's all you want for people. You know what I mean? I, I just I can't harbor resentment or anger towards anybody. You know, at the time, there was a lot of stuff that, I, you know, uh that rubbed me the wrong way. But, um, since then I've really worked through it a lot. And, and now, uh, looking back, it just, it just needed to happen. And now everything's really amazing, you know? So, and, and with every line of change in Buck Cherry's history, it's always gotten better. So, um, I had that to kind of reflect on when all this was going down. And so I, I was just optimistic about the whole thing. Right on. I, I often make comparisons to some, uh, band lineups like sports teams, right? Like I'm always going to root for, I'm a Yankee fan. I'm always going to root for the Yankee jersey. And right. there are players, you know, that come and go, but you still root for the, the team. So we're all on team Buckcherry, not to sound too corny. Uh, right. Was there ever maybe a thought for you? Because Buckcherry is obviously such a, a major brand that you thought maybe instead of rebuilding this thing that I might go out and, and do my, I mean, you have done solo stuff, but that was you know, maybe just stick to that path. Did it ever cross your mind to stick to solo as opposed to, you know, uh, Buck Cherry reforming and, and, you know, building it like the $6 million man? No, like Buck Cherry's my baby. I started this from nothing. I started it from sitting on the edge of my bed writing uh, songs on a four track. You know, that's when I met Keith and we started writing together at that point. So I'm very passionate about it. I needed to... um you know, take breaks from it. And, and I'm always creating, creating songs. You know, I write all the time. I sing all the time. So, um, that being said, you know, like the Josh Todd and the conflict record was amazing record, amazing record. And I got to go back to my heavier roots and we had so much fun doing that record. And that was kind of like Stevie and I's, um, you know, 
we we were just really getting used to our songwriting language during that record process and it, and it just came out really well and so it set us up for the next phase of buck cherry you know and so um i'm always going to be passionate about buck cherry um it's my baby all the words you hear and everything came from my soul and came from my person personal life and and the lives around me and, and it's very personal to me so um yeah as long as i'm as long as I uh, want to do it, it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, you, and, you know, and and that being said, I never wanted to uh, have a you know changing of lineups. I just I never even thought about that. I just wanted to be in one band and make my mark and have a catalog of music, and that's mm. what I wanted. But I I didn't know like what you know being on the road for twenty years was going to do to people, and it is it is really hard being on the road for as long as we've been on the road, you have to have like, you got to have really good mind power because you can lose your soul out on the road. You eventually the friends fall by the wayside. You have like, no, you have this weird circus life that no one understands. And so your world gets really, your personal life gets really small, you know? So, and a lot of people can't handle it. And I've seen it, you know, I've seen it take out band guys and crew guys, and I've seen it just wreck people's lives. And, and um, so, you know, that's why I think a lot of the, I can't speak for them, but a lot of the people that have left the band that like, not a lot of people have been fired from Buck Cherry. There's like actually like two, I think. And um, everybody else left on their own free will. So, you know, that's, and you can't do anything about that. So we just have to keep moving on. Yeah, no, life is life. It, you can't predict it. And I can't even imagine what life is on the road like that. I only get my my information from like Bob Seger songs. Oh, that's what it's kind of like. I, I I just don't know. Uh, the, going it's, challenging. it's really challenging. You know, I, I make a point of always, Stevie too, you know, we always are trying to learn new things when we're on the road. And, and that's hard to do when you're uh, pretty stationary. So you got to find things to stimulate your mind outside of music. And we do that and, and we meditate and, you know, we're, we're both sober guys. So we work cool. hard on that and, and I know all that stuff. Uh, I'm coming up on, on four years without alcohol. So, uh, you know, knowing where. Amazing. That's yeah, great. Thank you. Cause in knowing, you know, where the, the demons that you've fought and, and the success that you've, uh, that you're coming out of it, you're, that you are out of it. And, and, you know, the music obviously continues to be amazing. You know, it, it, there's always that that joke. Uh, you know, maybe you have to be on drugs to write a good song. Well, obviously, you don't have to be. Uh, of course, it's, it's so it's so not true. That is like, it's completely the opposite. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Uh, let's spin it to a positive. Then, is there something on tour that you do look forward to? Whether it's you know visiting cities and places you haven't gone to, uh, if if it's hitting up uh you know a certain fast food place that you don't have locally uh is, yeah. yeah what is like what are your some of your favorite things that you actually do look forward to uh being out on the road i really look forward to waffle house you know um, <laughs> because they don't have waffle house on the west coast so i really love waffle house 24 7 and usually they have like um a, a, a jukebox in there you know for and they have great songs they have old a lot of old school like R and B and funk and and everybody who works at Waffle House, they're all they're all like 
they're all people that are just, you know, trying to do good in their lives, you know, and, and I love that, you know, they just, and, and it's just a big love fest every time I go into a Waffle House. And it's also a place, uh, my oldest daughter, she lives, uh, she lives in Tennessee and, and, and it's, and it's something that we've always bonded over. Every time I see her, we go to Waffle House and right we, we listen to music and it's, it's, it's kind of near and dear to me. Yeah. That's exactly uh, the kind of answer I was looking for something like that. Uh, you covered have, had like a hole on on war paint. I'm curious. Yeah. Uh, a, how did you decide on on that song? And I'm assuming you are rooting for them to get into the Rock Hall this year, or do you feel that it's not their time yet? Because I mean, like Doobie Brothers, T Rex, you know, Pat Benatar. I mean, there could be other bands. You know, that could get in before Buck them. Sherry. Buck Sherry, obviously. Buck Sherry. <laughs> so we yeah, qualify. You got it. You got to be over 20 years. We definitely qualify, but. Uh... Yeah, of course I want them in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They're, they're you know, Trent Reznor. Uh, yeah, I was always a big fan of the Pretty Hate Machine record. I, when I heard it, I was like, this sounds like a, an electronic, independent punk rock record. I'm like, I, this is dope, you know? I just felt like there was a lot of honesty there, you know? And I felt like this guy has, um, Trent has stuck to his guns and, you know, made this music that is, that is unique to himself. And, and it's really cool and it's reckless and it's, you know, the lyrics are awesome. I love his voice. And so I just was picking a song that was in my wheelhouse vocally and, and words that I could really be passionate about and connect to. And, and a song on top of it that I thought would be, would translate into being a great rock song. And that's always the challenge, you know, for me, it's like, when you hear like a rock band do like a rock song, an old rock song, I'm like, eh, you know, I, I just... I think it's more challenging to take something kind of out of your genre and and make it make it your own. And we did that with uh, I love it. We we made it say fuck it on our on the fuck EP and <laughs> and that was like really great for us. We play that every night live and it's bananas, you know. So um, it was just kind of an experiment. I came in, we were all set up to record War, War Paint. I said, hey, let's jam out the song and see if we can make it sound like us. And and uh, Mike Plotnikoff, our producer was recording us and we didn't know it. And he, he did a rough mix of it. And he's like, come here and listen to this. And we're like, what? And he cranked it up and I was like, damn, this is, this is amazing. It sounds like a, a Buck Cherry song, you know? And so we played it for our, uh, our people and everybody loved it and just kept hanging around and it made the record finally. I couldn't agree more because it really sounds like a Buck Cherry song. You know, if you were from, you crawled out from underneath a rock and you weren't familiar with Head Like a Hole, you'd be like, oh, wow, this is a new Buck Cherry song. But you're right. It's interesting to hear you take another genre. I mean, yeah, you can throw the, the giant blanket of rock, but it's industrial. It's different. It's not the Buck Cherry sound, but you completely uh, made it your own, which is extremely hard to do. Uh, I'm assuming with everything you do, you embrace that challenge. It doesn't uh, kind of scare you off to think of... How would Nine Inch Nails fans receive this? You're just, uh, I guess, what goes no, through your no, mind? No, no, I mean, you know, as long as I feel confident uh, performing it and singing it, you know, and then I, I don't care. I don't care if he likes it or he doesn't like it, you know, because right I just know that, I just know for myself that I'm, I'm pleased with it. That, that's all that matters because at the end of the day, he's not going to be like hanging out every time we step on stage and we got to own that stuff when we get on stage, you know? Sure. 
you may have noticed by the name of, of my podcast, I do things a little differently here because, I mean, just like how there are so many rock bands that sound the same, there are so many rock podcasts that do the same thing. So I try to do uh, have a six degrees of, of GNR bacon, looking at things through a, a Guns and Rose colored <laughs> glasses. So anybody who has any sort of connection, and, and you have a lot. I mean, one, you know, Jimmy Ashurst, a former uh, uh, band member of Izzy Stradlin, used to be in Buck Cherry. Uh, yeah. Right? So I, well, how was working with, with Jimmy? Because he's a former guest of the show as well. Oh, yeah. I love Jimmy. Um, I hope he's doing well. Uh, great bass player, you know. And, um, you know, we had a good run. Right on. Love him. Yeah. And one of the, the biggest questions I would get from, from listeners, so I, there's too many people for me to, to credit specifically, but you were kind of, I don't know what you would call it, the genesis, the beginnings, the, the pro- prologue of what would become Velvet Revolver. You know, I I had Steve Gorman, former Black Crow, uh, on on the on the show as well, and you know he was the drummer, the quote unquote drummer, uh, when it was still called the Project, and they eventually hooked up with Matt Sorum, and you know the history is told. But I guess if if you could tell a little bit of of your history, because you performed with Slash, you performed with Duff in Camp Freddy yeah. uh, kind of venues, so. What was there anything that you guys worked on specifically to potentially be something, or did you guys jam? Well, what is your, I guess, quote unquote, Velvet Revolver story? It's so weird. I've I've told this story many times, um, but uh, I'll tell it again. You know, like at the time we we were done with the Time Bomb tour, which was the second Buck Cherry record, and and three of the band members had quit. So it was just Keith and I uh, in our rehearsal room, just writing writing songs. And along that time, uh, Slash called up Keith and said, hey, you, you want to do this Randy Castillo benefit at the Key Club? And we'll do like, we'll do like a couple of Cherry songs, a couple of GNR songs, maybe an Aerosmith song. And we're like, yeah, let's do it. So it was me, Keith, uh, Matt, Duff, and Slash. And that's how it all started. And so we did this show at the key club and there was like, everybody was talking about it in LA after we did it. You know, there was like this buzz going on. And so Keith and I got back to the rehearsal room a few days later and, um, I saw him. I was like, man, that felt so good. It felt, it felt like, it felt like Buck Sherry with like really great players. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, and he goes, yeah, he goes, I totally feel the same way. And I go, it was so nice to be like in a band because we had been, band list for you know probably a month at that point and uh or maybe longer and and so slash was thinking the same thing so uh we called him and we're like hey man you guys want to do maybe uh write some songs and see and, and and put together a band and he was into it so we became a band for like a month and we were we were in rehearsal room writing songs and we, and we even got to the point where we were taking management meetings to find a manager to manage it. And we were trying to come up with band names and all of it. And then all of a sudden slash just came in and said, he didn't want to do it. He pulled the plug without even letting anybody know. We thought everything was fine. And so that really kind of set me off. I, I didn't like that. I didn't like, uh, I didn't like, you know, wasting my time spinning my wheels and somebody kind of, you know, leading me on, even though 
I don't even care who it is. You know, if it was Joe Blow or Slash, you know, it it really irritated me. But it is what it is, right? And then, so Keith and I went our separate ways. And then it was only after that that Velvet Revolver uh, eventually became something. It was like those three guys just kept on rolling, D- Matt, Duff, and Slash. And then eventually they they formed Velvet Revolver. So oh. it was before my involvement. Gotcha. I mean, after my involvement. Sorry if you've been asked that uh, a ton of times. I, I clearly, you know, not enough people, <laughs> I guess, have heard it because that's like half my 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 questions are curious about that time with the, you know, w- working with Slash and Duff because people would like to hear, you know, that collaboration. You know, your voice. It just it would have been it would have been awesome, but it it never got there. And and you know what, those guys went and did their thing, and they had success doing it. And we went we went and made fifteen, and you know, and so everybody. It was a win-win. So looking sure. back, it's like, oh, everything was meant to be. But at the time, it was frustrating. Did you ever find out again, if I if I may ask, uh, why he pulled the plug at the time? I I don't know. I think he didn't want. Uh, I think he had a different singer in mind. Honestly, you know. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, this question is what on. Can you, what can you do? What can you do with that? You know. Nothing, you know, it is what Nothing. it is, but you, who knows if the same amount of effort would have been put into 15 and who knows where, you know, all of us would be. So it's, it, it just, there's, there's nothing, you know, it is what it is and everything, like I said, you know, it all worked out and that's all that matters. Sure. No, I, I understand. Uh, and I won't keep you here forever because I know you, I don't know if you have to finish lunch or, or, you know, record more acoustic versions of Sorry, so I won't keep you here. No, no, I'm driving. I'm driving now. I'm going to go get my son. Oh, school. right on. So uh, yeah. may, maybe I'm helping you during traffic, which makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're doing great. Thank you. Uh, this question is from Nathan on uh, Nathan Dodd on Facebook. Uh, does Josh have any good stories about DJ Ashba while Buck Cherry and 6AM will tour, were, were touring? Uh, during Crew Fest, which I actually got to see Crew Fest at uh, at Jones Beach, great show from start to finish uh, in 2008. And if he he's like, if I remember correctly, DJ joined GNR shortly after. So any mention of joining G, uh, GNR during that time? No, you know, like uh, DJ and I were always friendly, but uh, never really hung out. You know, I didn't know him personally. So no, I didn't really hang out at that time and with him, but he, he's. He's a lovely guy, nice to me, you know. Um, but it, like, I, I spoke to DJ not too long ago. I guess he was he was embarking on like a electronic slash like guitar project, and I thought it was really cool. And he wanted to have guest singers, and he asked me if I wanted to be a part of it. And I said yeah, and then I never heard from him again. So um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully he's he's doing all right, and he's uh, you know he's a great great musician, and he does his thing, you know. Right on. It also made me think, I'm sure you've heard the news, that Motley Crue is out of retirement. So I, I'm just curious your, your thoughts on that. Because uh, for me, I'm just excited to have, you know, a rock and roll band that I love, you know, back. Uh, or does it bother right. you that a, a band goes on a farewell tour? I mean, I, do you, if you could share any thoughts on, on that, I'd love to hear it. Wasn't it Nikki who said, like, we're going to do a farewell tour and it's really farewell? For real. Yeah. Did he say that or no? Yeah, no, he, he said it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know. You know, I'm happy that those guys are happy, you know, that that's all that matters, you know, like, uh, you know, they get to get together. They have so many great songs and they put on a great show and, and, um, 
you know, I know Tommy uh, fairly well, and, you know, we, we go back and forth sometimes, and he's, he's a nice guy. And so, you know, I, I'm just – I'm happy for them that they can go out there and, and race some hell. I mean, that, that's what it's all about. Should a band do – like, would you ever do a farewell? I mean, you can just take a break without having to announce it. It's like those people that post on Facebook saying that, I'm deleting my Facebook. Just You can just go, right. take, a, take a break. Do it. Do, you, do it. Who cares? Like, yeah. Um, I think less is more. You know, I think people talk way too much. You know, you got to not, – not speaking of Nikki or anything. I just – you know, there, there's no right way to do anything. But, like, um, for me personally, uh, if I'm taking a break, I just take a break. I don't have to alert the media. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, this question is from Ray from the UK. Uh, he wants to know why the song "Too Drunk to Fuck," so you can curse, uh, isn't on newer versions of the Black Butterfly record. Yeah, uh, that was our manager's idea. He wanted to replace it with Highway Star and have a re-release of the record. So that's what happened. And then I guess people have a hard time finding "Too Drunk." Um, but it's a great song. We play it every night, and uh, I don't know. I haven't really searched for it. Is it hard to find? I guess so, because uh, Ray is somebody who scours the internet to find the song. So I guess he was just <laughs> he he was he was curious uh, about that. You always, you always want what you can't have, right? <laughs> that's a good thing. That that's how it works. Uh, what has been right. the biggest change uh, of doing shows? Do you think for you, unless it's just a preparation? From starting out to now, do you feel like that you are, you're 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 such a seasoned veteran that it's almost like it's not is it is it hard work still or is it kind of like you you just know the ropes already of what needs to be done when you go out and, and put on the show? Is it hard work? I mean, when I mean, you get older, you got to You got to work harder for sure. You know, um, I know I have. You know, to keep my body up and and the the Buck Sherry show vocally is very demanding. So. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta stay on it. You know, um, I don't sit on the sidelines. So even when I'm home, I don't go more than two days without singing. You know, so I gotta work that muscle, or it goes away for me. But um, everybody's got their process. Who was there? I, I forgot to ask this when you were talking about warming up and all the people that you would listen to growing up. Is there a specific vocalist that perhaps you would kind of? I don't want to say copy, but model yourself after or inspired you the most more than the others? Man, that's a, that's a really hard question to answer. You know, um, I don't know, you know, like my early, the early guys that I really liked, they, they weren't really vocalists. You know, I liked Ian McKay or I don't know how, how you want to pronounce it. Some people pronounce it McKay. Some people say McKay, but he was a singer of minor threat. And uh, Out of Step was like a really uh, amazing record for me. It really helped me uh, at the time. I was very young, probably like 14 when I got that record. And this was going through a lot in my personal life. And uh, that record spoke to me lyrically. And he was, uh, he was like this front man that just came out there. And he was uh, super charismatic. And he, he could really command an audience and like he was the first guy where I was like this dude is bad ass and I just wanted everything that he had you know so he was the first guy that I really looked up to 
And then, like I said, I got into all these different artists. And, you know, Alison Moyet was really a, a big a big one for me. She's the singer of this band called Yaz. And she had, like, this really soulful voice singing over electronic music. And it was, and the songs were really good, and I really loved her voice. And Prince was a huge influence on me because I just thought he was an outlaw, and he just did whatever he wanted. And, you know, I loved Stevie Wonder and um, James Brown, for sure. Right on. Well, Josh, I mean, this has been a complete honor. Uh, just for just the fact that a, I, I just love your music and have been a fan of Buck Sherry uh, since the beginning, and also just someone to kind of see as somebody who has struggled with addiction and sobriety and depression to see wh- where you have gone, how you have fought. You know, when we have lost so many in the rock community to to those demons. Yeah, uh, we yeah. just we we got to take our victories. And, 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 well, call them out. So you, I mean, you're a victory story, Josh, and I just can wish you continued uh, success in life and, and, in, uh, and professionally as well. I'm a victory story. I'm, I'm coming up on 25 years of sobriety, and, you know, one day at a time I'll get there, and, and it's really a daily reprieve, and, and uh, I appreciate that. And anybody who's struggling with all of it, you know, there is a solution, and, and um, I hope you find it. And if you ever want to talk shop, and you're at a Buck Cherry show and you want to talk about sobriety, I'm always open to it. That's really cool. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for fitting me into your schedule, Josh. You have a great day. My pleasure. Take care. Wow. What a really down-to-earth guy Josh Todd is. I, I really had no idea. I was kind of nervous, to be to be honest with you. You know, I was recently asked when I guested on the, the Guns and Radio podcast who, you know, how, have I been nervous for to interview you? And I'm not going to pretend to be cool. I, you know, grew up a very nervous and shy kid. You know, my very first time on the air in college, I remember shaking and my my face got beat red. But just all these years later, I guess I'm just kind of I mean, I would think I thought I was kind of immune to, to to doing it all. I mean, of course, there are people who I get really excited for, but as far as nerves, you know, Henry Rollins, I was kind of nervous about because he had a rep of. I guess being angry, not being a, like a bad interviewer, but just, I don't know. He always plays the badass in all these movies and obviously Black Flag, you know, angry music. I, I was kind of nervous, but he was super nice right away. And, of course, those of you who know, I was nervous and it kind of screwed me with my Dave Mustaine interview. Is that what you said? I idolize Slash? I didn't mean to use that word idolize. I got stuck on that word. I wanted to say admire his guitar playing, but I think I insulted Dave Mustaine. Oh, if I could have one interview to to redo, it could be that one. Even though overall it was a good time, and and this one I was nervous for, but what a nice guy from uh, from the get go. All right, so let's uh, wrap up this episode first with some news. One interesting note as I'm recording this part of the the episode, uh, yesterday was November 23rd. Now, you wouldn't think that would be uh, a huge date. Like, Does it really bring any significance in your life unless it's your birthday? November 21st is very important in, in Guns N' Roses history. Reason number one, in 1993, November 23rd, 1993, the spaghetti incident was released. Then six years later, November 23rd, Live Era. November 23rd, 1999, Live Era, 8793, was released. And then, nearly a decade later, not quite, 
November 23, 2008, Chinese democracy was released to the world. So three GNR albums released on November 23rd. Coincidence? Conspiracy theory? A, a third question? <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I find that fascinating. Well, uh, this November 23rd came and went, so you really can't develop any conspiracy theories. Maybe November 23rd, 2020, we'll get a new GNR record. Maybe we can start that rumor. <laughs> But second part of Shotgun News, and a new record has no bearing on the success of Not In This Lifetime. You may have read, now, Not In This Lifetime, the Guns N' Roses tour, where they were actually reunited with Slash and Duff, is now the third most successful tour of all time, grossing $584.2 million, uh, 158 concerts, Six continents. It's about three and a half years. I mean, we don't even know if it's finished yet. They say it's finished, but if you listen to the interview I did with Dizzy, he doesn't know. (laughs) He doesn't even know if it's done. So just congrats. I mean, that's just fantastic. I think it was GNR Central put out a really interesting stat. And I mean, there could be a lot of variables to this, but it's still, I think it's a bit noteworthy that not in this lifetime, achieved is six times more six times more successful financially than the previous uh, Guns N' Roses lineup that Axel uh, had you know before Slash and, and Duff reunited so you can get into the math of it you know is Slash and Duff do they make that brand six times more valuable does does Slash alone do that you know would the tour have been as successful if it was just Slash and Axel you know, I was thinking about that, and I think it would have been super successful regardless. But in a way, it's kind of like the Black Rose. Yeah, the, the Robinson brothers are back together again. It's great. But it's not a, a true reunion. And you could say that, of course, about not in this lifetime. But I think the addition of Duff really, like, wow, you have a major part, a chunk of Guns N' Roses that is reunited. And would have would have Izzy... Or or Adler or or Sorm would they have made it even more successful? Would they have made uh the, easily surpassed six hundred million? These are things fun things to think about. But regardless, plenty of people and any of those fucking assholes who reply, oh no, like on those websites like Blabbermouth or Metal Sucks, nobody cares about Guns N' Roses. They're washed up. I mean, you just show them that that stat. Any any troll out there that you deal with defending the band that we love. Nobody can argue with that stat. Insane. Now, before we wrap up this episode, I want to do a new segment or mainly just to debut a new soundbite. Well, of course, I always give out our our social media, facebook.com slash the AFD show or on Twitter at the AFD show. And I love seeing those uh, follows and and likes go up over uh, past uh, recent weeks. I'm working hard on getting you guys some some interesting pictures that aren't all over the internet. You know, try to find some rare pictures for you to check out. Memes. I'm killing it on the, the Guns N' Roses meme game lately. And I also ask, I think, some some, some thought-provoking questions within the uh, GNR world. So social media is definitely a lot of fun. But sometimes I forget, I also have an email <laughs> at show on gmail.com. Clearly, that is not forgotten by our friend Alex from Australia. I believe I've read a, a letter by him maybe, uh, several episodes ago, but 
it's just I want it to be more than just for my eyes. I want to share this with all of you. And with his permission, uh, he's allowing me to share his email with you. So let me uh, and, and for any of you who want to write a long letter, you know, perhaps to, to read on on the podcast instead of just a which I always appreciate just a, a quick DM on social media. But if you want to I know sometimes like an email is the way to go. So uh, feel free to send me an email and that could be the introduction of the uh, the mail segment. And if you're familiar with Blues Clues, I, I, I can't help but think about the mail song. And, of course, I have to, you know, add some GNR flavor to it. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. Oh, <laughs> I'm such an idiot. <laughs> this is all an excuse. This podcast is all an excuse for me to make myself laugh with stupid sound bites. I'm a simple man, folks. I am a simple man. Anyway, uh, on to Alex's uh, email. Hi, Brando. Hope you are well. Still enjoying your show around here. I thought you might like this. I went to a small uh, records vinyl fair around here this morning and found a 1988 original GNR Lies, uncensored, Australian pressing, in excellent condition. I had this album on CD when I was a teenager, and it got stolen from my parents' house not long after I bought it. Bastards. Anyway, I've been trying to find it on vinyl for a while, and although I know I can get one on eBay for a fair bit of cash in unknown conditions, but I wanted to actually find it myself by digging amongst records. It's a different feeling, almost like finding a treasure. Funny enough, before I found it, I saw a guy next to me picking through Metallica's Kill 'em All, and I said, Great find, to which he replied, Yes, great one but not as good as the original Appetite for Destruction. I just found in, in another box over there. Uh, well, that guy was talking, of course, and for some reason I mentioned that I've been trying to find the GNR Lies for a while. He jumped straight away and said, Mate, I just saw it five seconds ago. It's right in this box. We checked online the barcodes and stuff to verify its date and everything, and for a second I thought he was going to ask to keep it himself since he saw it first, but I guess he was happy with the original Appetite. It was a very nice feeling. Two GNR fans found a treasure each, I guess. Anyway, nothing related to your show on this email, but I thought you might enjoy this story. Cheers, Alex. Well, clearly I did enjoy the story. I do appreciate that. And I, I enjoyed it so much, I wanted to share it with the uh, the podcast listeners, the rest of the, the bad apples in the AFD show. Bad you know, that's, that's, that's awesome. That's what this show, I think, is about, and... Clearly, Alex gets it. Of course, we can interview awesome people like Josh Todd. We can, you know, dissect our favorite songs and albums. But it's all about connection. You know, to me, that's what radio is. It's about connecting with the audience, and we're doing it here through Guns and Roses. That's how we're doing it. So, uh, when you're out and about, and you know, it's like when you pass somebody with the same car as you. You know, you kind of point. Uh, but if you see somebody out and about with a GNR shirt, and you strike up a conversation, but you know, to to find vinyl like that, to find treasure like that, you know, he's going to remember that day for, for a long time. Absolutely. So, again, if you guys uh, want to send in an email for me to read on the air at the AFD show at gmail.com. Anyway, thanks for hanging out for another episode, whether you found us through alternativenation.net, iHeartRadio, the iHeartRadio app, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, however you listen. Much appreciated. As for the next episode, when will you see it? When will you hear it? 
Well, in the words of Axel Rhodes concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. security, I'm going home.